The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. How are you all doing? Good. Very, very good. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. We're kind of in the final third of the book of Acts, and so we're following and learning about the early church, but we're wanting to make connections to us and to our generation and to what the Lord is saying to us, and that's what we're going to be doing again tonight. Um, So we are in getting toward Paul's third missionary journey. Paul was sent out, remember originally him and Barnabas from Antioch, the church in ancient Syria, and then they began doing these missionary journeys all around the Mediterranean, all around ancient Europe, planting all of these churches. And so we're going to find out that uh, Paul, with these multiple uh, sites, most of them were very small, they were probably in homes, he would start in a synagogue, and then he would get either rejected or kicked out, or some Jews would believe and some would not. They would go into homes, and they would basically be house churches. So we have many, many uh, home groups, growth groups. I would encourage you to have your own home Bible study, friends and family. So the title of the message tonight is What Friends Are For. And, and so we're going to focus on friends because Paul the Apostle, we're going to find out tonight, is going through an extremely difficult, challenging time, setbacks, uh, and some pretty scary stuff going on. Sound familiar? The last year, year and a half for all of us. And here's what we learn. We learn that in uh, difficult times, challenging times, frightening times, we need more than just ourselves. Uh, Being a human being is not an individual sport or way of life. God created a family and a community. We need one another. And the beautiful thing about when you come into the family of God is that you now are linked spiritually with millions and millions of brothers and sisters that are virtually in every country and every continent all around the world. We're related to them, so we care what's happening to the church in Asia, in Africa, Latin America, uh, Europe, obviously the Middle East. And we're gonna be talking about that tonight. But I wanna focus in on who are your friends that will carry you through the difficult times we are going through now. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. I thank you for those who are here. We welcome those who are uh, watching online. We welcome those who are listening to the radio on KSDW uh, and all of our family there from Marietta and Temecula and on down here to San Diego. But Lord, I pray that we might hear what the Spirit would say to us And Lord, that we might hear what you would encourage us. We need encouragement. We need strength. Uh, We need hope. And every one of us are are literally looking up to heaven now, saying, Lord, our eye is upon you. You are our hope. You are our strength. We need you. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, praise you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, O Lord. O mighty, worthy, wonderful Lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you in your house and upon your throne. You are alive and resurrected and magnified and glorified. You have all power and all authority. You rule, you reign, your will shall be done. And so, Lord, may we be caught up in the spirit to let you minister to us tonight. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 20. And we're gonna just start off with verse one. So I'm gonna, you know, follow along just a few little Uh, points in the outline. The plan of God, 
rides on the wings of challenges. So I'm sure if we all had time to sit down and talk, one of the things I would like to ask you is, what are your challenges? Personally, what's going on with your you know, family and what's going on with you? What are your challenges? So here's what I want you to realize. This is very encouraging. The plan of God rides on the wings of challenges. Verse one, Acts chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased. So if you missed last week, <laughs> Paul had preached and he was very powerful and very anointed and very effective and he would always go to the synagogue and he would preach to the Jews first and so there were some that believed and there were others that would not. Anyway, he, he was preaching about Jesus Christ and he was so powerful and he was so effective in the city of ancient Ephesus that nobody was buying idols anymore. The idol business was plummeting. How many think that would be a great thing, right? But they got a big mob and there was a riot and you know he almost got torn apart, but God spared him. So anyway, that's what we're coming into now. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and he embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Of course, Macedonia is the modern country of Greece. So Paul is ready for another missionary journey. And on this next missionary journey, he wants to go back to all of the places and cities he had already been and that he had planted churches and he wanted to embrace them. What that means is he wanted to encourage them. Uh, look, we all need encouragement. And how many, let me just honestly ask, be as honest as you can, you're in church. How many of you could use a little bit of encouragement tonight, huh? Okay, so let me tell you how you can be encouraged. Would you like to hear, how can I be encouraged? I need encouragement. Here is one of the spiritual, supernatural secrets. When you need encouragement, look around you to somebody else who's discouraged and embrace them and start encouraging them. Pour into them. Bless them. Listen to them. Give them a word that will lift their spirits. Look them in the aisle, or in the eye. Smile at them. Bless them. Uh, as you encourage them, they will begin reflecting back that encouragement to you. You will be blessed because you're, you're the one that's in need, but if everybody is in need and sitting down and pouting in their own little corner, that doesn't help anybody. So how do we break the cycle? You be like the Apostle Paul. He wanted to go back to all of the churches he had planted, and, and some in obscurity, some in big major cities, uh, some of them had been in the synagogue, they were Jewish, and then they got kicked out, and so they're feeling a little torn, but he wanted to go visit them, and he wanted to bless them, and he wanted to encourage them. And Paul, we read, had the care of all the churches weighing upon him. And I know all of you, you, you love your family, you love your children, you, you love your spouses and your friends, and you want to encourage them and bless them. So you be the one to start. Now, the church at this particular time, it's brand new. And it was experiencing all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of setbacks, but everything, so here's what I want you to know. There's problems everywhere. There's riots breaking out. They had stoned a young man named Stephen. They're being harassed. Uh, they, they went and started a riot in Ephesus in the temple of Diana. And, and you would think, oh no, th this is all going wrong. No, this was actually all part of God's plan. God's plan, because he is invading, the king of heaven is invading a place where a usurper is acting like he owns the earth. But the truth of the matter is, the devil does not own the earth. He's a squatter. He is illegally on territory that does not belong to him. And Jesus has come, the author and the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's saying, devil, your time is up. You are kicked out. Get off my land. Get away from my people. These are mine. 
So we are now with the Holy Spirit and with the church. Yes, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be setbacks. And I like to tell people, because you know our first reaction can sometimes be, man, the world is falling apart. But I want to switch that on its head. Actually, what is happening is the world is not falling apart. The world and circumstances are falling into place. The devil is not the one driving the bus down here on planet Earth. God is using him. He knows our enemy. He knows Satan. He knows the devil. He knows what he's going to do. God is never surprised. He never looks down and goes, whoa, I didn't know that was going to happen. He not only knows what's going to happen tomorrow, the rest of the summer, going into the fall, or even into a new year, but before he even created the heavens and the earth, having seen what's coming, the end of 2021 and into 2022, God already has a divine plan and he is going to have that plan come to pass. He's going to win. He is, his plan cannot be stopped. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he made a tremendous promise to the disciples. And this is just amazing to me. Of course, when Jesus was here, he could do everything. He could heal people and cast out the devils. And then he left, he went up into heaven and he turned it over to us. And it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, isn't there a better plan than that? <laughs> but he said, no. He goes, because I'm gonna be with you. And it's, here's, he said this. It's actually better that I leave and go up to heaven because then I will send my Holy Spirit. If, you know, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, wow, that's amazing. Wherever Jesus physically was, was incredible. But he was only in one place, in one country, and for a short span of time, he couldn't be all over the planet. But now as the church has grown and is some 2.6 billion of us, and the Holy Spirit is in each one of us. And Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you, my, my followers, will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, Greek word martyr. Not that everybody, that's where the word martyr comes from. When I say the word martyr, you think, oh, they, somebody that died for their faith. Sometimes they died for their faith, but not always. But that's where that word came from. But what it literally means is, I don't care what you do to me, I'm gonna witness about the resurrection, power and presence and life of Jesus Christ. Live or die, I'm a witness, I'm a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is king. You should be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus said, my Holy Spirit will be in you and by his power, he will accomplish my plan of redeeming the world. Jesus not only promised power, but he also predicted total, complete victory. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So God is on the throne. God's plan is marching forward. He is moving things according to his own will and he's got a plan. So Pentecost came and filled every believer, granting each individual the power to fulfill his or her role in God's redemptive plan. And I wanna add and underscore, persecution not only did not curb the church's growth, persecution actually fueled its growth around the world. So while we on a human basis might go, man, it's been so bad and so hard and so wrong the last year, year and a half, God says, I knew this was coming and I have made a plan in light of it and I'm gonna use it and I'm going to leverage it and I'm gonna reveal my purpose and my plan and I'm actually gonna, by shaking up the whole world, but let's say a year and a half ago, you know, we we're kind of cruising in a certain way Nobody's cruising anymore. 
You know, this is like an e-ticket ride in the old days in Disneyland, you know. Keep all hands and elbows inside the vehicle at all times, but we're on a track, and we're going to make it to the end. So God is doing some amazing things. Now look with me. Man, that's just verse one. I'm excited. Okay, verses two and three. Persecution becomes, under the Lord's power, a catalyst for explosive growth. Verses two and three. It says, now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them. So, that, so Paul's like, look, you would think he needs encouragement. He's been beat up. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been thrown in prison. People are trying to kill him. Even in this story, new people are trying to kill him. But he's going around. What is he doing? Encouraging them with many words. And then he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. All right, so let's look at this uh, for just a moment. Um, normally, under, if there hadn't been the stress and the persecution, believers would have just stayed where they were. But because persecution landed upon them, they began to move. They began to scatter. Uh, they decided, you know what? It doesn't feel so safe here. So they would call family, relatives, and they would move to a new location, maybe a new country, a new part of the Roman Empire. And when they got there and they found a home or a place to live and a job and resettled their children, they would start living their faith. And if there wasn't a church, they would start one in their own homes and a whole new area would have a whole new home house church. So by literally persecuting a very small, tiny group of believers in Jerusalem, then it began to spread and go far and wide all over the Roman Empire. So literally persecution took what was a flame of fire of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in Jerusalem and that fire went and spread all over the Roman world. This was God's purpose and plan. Now here's what's interesting for me because you know here at Maranatha we've been here for some time and in this place and and it's been a very interesting year. I know that uh, now, you know, when we first went on and, and uh, there was a time where nobody could come to church, it was me and a few people, and there was, you know, one of the young media people is, is on a thing, they've got a camera, and it's got a little tiny red light. There was not a soul here. And, and the camera person is looking, you know, they're you know, looking at the camera and checking different things and talking to other people. So they're not really listening to me. They are, but you can't, you can't tell that they are. So I'm talking to a red light, trying to imagine human beings. But it was all in my imagination. It was pretty wild. And so now here we finally, you know, we come back, we come back. But in the last year and a half, there have been a lot of people that were part of our church, let's say a year and a half ago, that are gone and have moved. Some of them have moved to Idaho. Some of them, a lot of them moved to Texas. Some have moved to Florida. They've moved to Tennessee. There's a lot, you know. And so I just want to wave to all y'all that are out there <laughs> that used to be here with us. Because they talk to me online, hey, Pastor Ray, we're still watching and with you, you know, if they haven't found a church or whatever. So glad to be here with you. But they all scattered. And here's the funny thing. So they got scattered and they went like that. And now they're part of our online family. But then there were other people that it's like a leaf blower. They got blown from wherever they are. And they're here at Maranatha in San Diego. And they go, how did I end up here? But they're going, but it's pretty nice. I mean, if it's going to be kind of like the end of the world, might as well be in San Diego, right? So welcome <laughs> to those of you that the leaf blower of the Holy Spirit blew you here. But the point is that God was working and behind the circumstances and every move, God follows all of us. And he knows the reasons, he knows why, and you know, maybe some of you are still thinking, maybe we gotta get out of here, or whatever. The Lord be with you, the Lord bless you, the Lord give you wisdom, and each family needs to seek the Lord. But I know this, 
wherever you go, if you love Jesus Christ and if you have been here and if you've been in the word of God and if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, wherever you go is more than about a new state, a new governor and a new job. It is a mission. God will use you there just like he used the early believers who got scattered from Jerusalem and then in their own homes and in their new places and new countries, they planted churches and the church grew exponentially. That's the, the plan and the purpose of God. So there, the challenge of persecution then gave way to the challenge of prejudice. Um, that, that was another problem with the early church. Most of the, I'm not talking about the very, very beginning, they were all Jewish. And um, after, you know, from Abraham until Jesus is 2,000 years. And pretty much that was the way to be saved is to become Jewish and become follower of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now all of a sudden, you know, sadly, over the 2,000 years, the Jewish people had developed and, you know, on one level, you can understand it. I mean, pride that we're it. I mean, we're the chosen people of God. And, and there was a pride that was there. And Gentiles, a little second class, they literally, the Pharisees prayed. Here's one of their prayers. Thank God I wasn't born a Gentile. Oy vey. <laughs> That's kind of not nice if you hear your neighbor saying, thank God I wasn't born like him. So God had to speak and he had, to, he had to talk to Paul and call Paul. He says, look, you're a Pharisee, you're a Jew of Jews, and he really wanted to reach the Jewish people, but God said, no, Paul, I need you to reach the Gentile people. I'm gonna use Peter, the fisherman, to reach the Jewish people. And I'm gonna use the fisherman to reach those who are filled with pride of we know the law, we know the Bible, we know this and that, We're not, and they might look down on Peter. But God says, I'm gonna humble them because I'm gonna give divine revelation to this fisherman called Peter. Miracles are gonna happen with him. The favor of almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is gonna be upon Peter. Just like when he walked in with John, you know, on, on the, the day of, at the hour of prayer to the temple. And there was a man saying, alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And Peter felt Jesus in him. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he reached down, grabbed the guy by the arm, pulled him up. And that man who had been there for who knows how many years lame, began walking and leaping and praising God. There was no rabbis, there was no Pharisees and no Sadducees who had ever done anything like that, but the power of God was with a fisherman who saw the living Jesus and said, in his name, this man has been made whole. So God used Peter. Yeah, you can clap if you want. I mean, it's pretty cool, pretty amazing. So God picks the fisherman to reach all the intellectual Pharisees and Sadducees. Then he picks Paul, who is a Pharisee, and he goes, now you go reach the knuckleheads called the Gentiles. They're worshiping sticks and stones. They don't know anything. You go save them. So God was humbling, and there was a lot of pride and prejudice, and God needed, you know, he wanted him to get past the pride in order that he might save them. Now, if you go back, look with me in verse uh, three, he stayed in Greece for three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, Paul, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So there were some Jews who did not receive Jesus, did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And they've been plotting for several years to get their hands on that Paul and murder him. So he would probably because he was still Jewish, want to go back to Jerusalem, which we find out he did, for Passover, unleavened bread, whatever feast it might be. And they knew that he had to go on his, these certain ships that were on their way back to uh, Israel. So they would just get on a ship, wait until they're halfway there, middle of the night, half a dozen guys go get that guy Paul and throw him overboard, glub, 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 and he goes away. So that's what was being planned. So. Look with me in verses four through six. We will all need true godly friends to make it to the other side. So look with me beginning in verse four. 
This is very interesting. It says, and Sopater, uh, Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. I want you to notice Paul, after the resurrection, still Jewish, wanting to go to the feasts of the Lord. So he's not, the Lord's not against the feasts, even post-resurrection. And that's why we've been celebrating the feasts because they all point to Jesus. But anyway, and in five days, he joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Here's what I want to say real quick about this. Paul's in trouble. There's a group of people that are literally looking, waiting, plotting, and planning his death. The enemy behind that spirit, there was a spirit. Whenever there's a murderous spirit like that, there is a demonic spirit behind that. And the demons and Satan himself was losing big time, just like he was in Ephesus. People are, I mean, literally, it may have seemed small at the time, you know, from human eyes. The Romans got the world. But the devil who saw things in the spirit, house church here, house church there, people coming here, people coming there. He was seeing the foundations of his whole deal being eaten alive. He was seeing Rome because he knew what was happening. He knew the power, the impact, and what this would, the effect it would have on the future. And he was right. It took maybe 300 years. But what Paul started was like an underground nuclear blast at the devil's kingdom. And it was coming down hard and fast. So Paul is in trouble. The enemy says, I got to take this guy out. He's doing some serious damage. So God surrounded Paul with seven men. Count the names. Seven men that became seven friends who had variously and different, you know, names of the little place where they were from, had met Paul, heard the gospel probably through him, got saved, and then became a loyal disciple. So... So here's the deal, Paul's in trouble and the enemy is trying to kill him and destroy him. And God brings seven new brothers that a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul would have never gone on a missionary journey, would never have even known them that they even lived or existed. But now he has seven men, seven friends who are with him, praying for him, planning with him, part of his prayer team, missionary team, and entourage. So what I want to say is that, uh, let, let me just say this. I believe the world is in trouble. I believe the world is, you know, we're heading toward uh, the, the prophecies that talk about what the world's going to look like when Jesus comes again. So the world is in trouble, and it's probably gonna go from one thing to the next. And I'm not saying that to depress anybody because God has a purpose and God has a plan. What I am saying is that we need to adjust and one of the adjustments that I believe is as your pastor, what, what I'm seeing in my own life, my own walk with Christ, where I feel we are now, and God's been speaking to me very much about where we are prophetically I mean, I am hearing the, the drums of the book of Revelation loudly. But, and so I'm like, Lord, what do I do? How do I pastor the people? You know, there's part of us, yeah, we want to go back to what was normal. But obviously there's a part of me that goes, but I don't think that we were all that healthy back in whatever normal was. So you don't want to just go repeat the past. You're shaking everything up. You're scattering your church, you're multiplying it, you're spreading the fire just like you did, but, but if more trouble is coming, the enemy's gonna find certain, try to take us out. Lord, how do we respond? What do you want us to do? He says, you need, just like my son Paul, I will surround you with friends. So here's what I wanna say. How did Paul get these godly men who protected him in his mission? You're gonna need friends who take care of you. 
Probably starts with family first, but even beyond family, there can be friends that are at a different level that, you know, are there with you and for you and committed to you. So what did Paul do? I want to share with you these three things. Number one, here's how Paul got these seven friends. He loved them and poured into their lives always. There's a scripture, Proverbs 18, verse 24. I didn't put it in your notes. If you want to write it down, you can. Proverbs 18, 24. He who would have friends must show himself friendly. (laughs) Basically, what that means is, if you want friends, many people's idea of being, you know, getting friends from God is, dear Lord, I need friends. Nobody sees me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody really seems to even care. And so please send me friends. And they would sit and wait. Let me say to you something that was said to me many years ago. I was, I was trying to seek the will of God, and so I wasn't really doing anything. I was just, you know, praying about it, feeling very spiritual praying about it. And a pastor came up to me, and he says, well, Ray, you know, okay, you're praying, and that's good, but what else are you doing? I go, well, pretty, not really a whole lot. He said, well, look, you need direction, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, well, God can't steer a parked car. You need to actually start moving and doing something And then it'll mean something if you turn the wheel this way or you turn the wheel that way. So I'm passing on to you (laughs) that which was passed on to me. If you're just sitting there waiting and not doing anything, nothing's going to happen. Yes, you need to pray. But we need to get moving. and And so you need friends? Then start being a friend to someone else. So you go, well, wait a minute. Why do I have to do that? Why can't they come to me? I want them to be the spiritual person. Look. I'm just telling you what Paul the Apostle did. This is what Proverbs 18.24 says. In fact, there are a number of verses in the Proverbs that talk about how to make friends. And it really begins, like I started the message with, if you need encouragement, start encouraging other people and it will come back to you. That's the way it works. You need friends? Be friendly and befriend someone else who you look at and you go, man, I know they're miserable. So I'm gonna be friendly to them. And they're going to be like, shocked. why are you being so nice to me? And you can't really just say, because you look lonely like you have no friends. You have to say, I don't know. I just, I just saw you and, and I just wanted to encourage you. Are you encouraged? <laughs> and you be friendly to them. And then you find out all of a sudden they start acting more friendly to you. Hey, how'd you do this week? Or what's going on? And you begin a relationship. So begin, Paul loved them, poured into their lives. Number two, he encouraged them no matter what they were facing. Let me just put it this, everybody look up here for just a second. You can never encourage someone too much. Nobody has ever gotten to the end of a day and gone, man, I'm just all ticked off. What's the matter? All I got was encouragement all day long. (laughs) What? No, that's never happened in your life. You've never gotten irritated at the end of the day because you got it too encouraged. Everybody needs encouragement. He encouraged them no matter what they were facing. And thirdly, he was like a loving spiritual mother or father. What I want to say to you is that whoever you know, God puts in your life, you're a, you can be a brother to them or a sister to them or like a spiritual father to them or a spiritual mother to them. And you say, well, where, where do you get that? Well, we're the family of God, right? Yes. We're all brothers and sisters in the family of God. I mean, this is literal. You're not just going to be in your little genetic tribe in heaven. We're all part of the family of God. We're all related to one another by blood of Jesus and by the Spirit. So all y'all brothers and all y'all sisters are mine. And everything I have is yours. And when we, so I share what I have and you share what you have and you put it together and it's better than what we have alone individually and it's awesome. So Paul was like that. Now, I'm gonna give you the scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verses six through 12. And I didn't, I don't have all the verses up there. It's too long, but you can go home and read it. This is the apostle Paul. This is the kind of guy he was. This is why he had seven friends who at a time when there was a plot to take him out, survived, partly because of those friends. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse six says, and this is Paul writing to one of the churches he started in Greece and Thessaloniki. He says, God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else, 
As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. Hey, I'm an apostle. Take care of me. Carry my bags or whatever. Paul says, we didn't do that. We were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. This is the apostle Paul saying, I was very gentle. I was very tender. I I ministered to you caringly, lovingly, gently as a mother. We loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, so you got saved, but we shared with you our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Have you ever told another person, maybe not even just in your family, but a friend and say, you know what, you are dear to me. Your faith blesses me, your life blesses me, your testimony encourages me, your friendship means a lot to me. Paul says, because you had become so dear to us, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. He says, we paid a price and we made many sacrifices. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while you preach the gospel of God to you or while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Do you realize that's what Jesus did with each one of the disciples? He, they, they endeared themselves to him. He loved them, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's, Paul says, I, I loved you with the heart of a mother and with the heart of a father, and I was open, I was honest and vulnerable and real. And I, I just love all of that. Now, another thing that Paul was doing on this trip when he went back through all these churches throughout Europe, and I want to talk about the Nehemiah Fund. We have a Nehemiah Fund. Paul was going to, all, and these are brand new churches that he planted. And then he would tell them about the original brothers and sisters, the Jews who were back in Jerusalem. He said, man, you think it's hard here in Rome? You ought to be a Jew and a believer in Yeshua in Jerusalem. They live with heavy, heavy persecution. They're ostracized. They won't let them into their synagogue. There's, there's, you know, they're, they're against Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's very, very hard for them. And now he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles and here's what he, he says, I need to take a collection and I'm gonna ask you to give an offering so that I can give it to your Jewish brothers and sisters that are really paying a heavy price back in Israel. So look with me, Romans chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. That should be in your notes. So let's read this out loud. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Paul is asking all these new churches that are you know, predominantly now, they started with a few Jews, but then a lot of Gentiles were coming. He goes, look, I'm gonna get, I want an offering to bring to the original <laughs> Jewish people that are back in Israel. And he says, here's why. Because they, the Jewish people, including himself, ministered to you Gentiles with spiritual things. What spiritual things? How about stop worshiping sticks and stones and worship God, the creator of the universe? How about eternal life? How about the forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus? How about the filling of the Holy Spirit Every spiritual, supernatural blessing you have came from the Jewish people. They ministered to you eternal spiritual things, the least you could do. You owe them something financially to say thank you. And by the way, those Jews, the reason there's so many Gentiles around the world, most of the 2.6 billion are Gentiles. And the reason that we know the Lord and the gospel and are saved today and are gonna be spending eternity with God as his sons and daughters is because 2,000 years ago, Jews were so committed 
not only for themselves, but to bring you and I, the world, the gospel, they were willing to shed their blood, their Jewish blood, in order that Gentiles might be saved. Therefore, Paul says, figure it out, you owe them a debt. We, we have, sadly, the church, we, the same pride the Jews had for 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, now the church has had for 2,000 years. Oh, we replaced the Jews, God's done with the Jews, they're cursed because they rejected Jesus. Pride, 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 pride. Read Romans 9 through 11. That cannot be our attitude. You owe them a debt. And that's why we have a thing called the Nehemiah Fund. And come this September, we're gonna take, we've been collecting and we do this every couple of years. Usually we go to Israel and then we, we give money. This is a special fund. If you've never heard of this before, so I'm telling it to you tonight. Um, and you pray about it. I'm asking you to pray about it. If God puts something on your heart to give a, a donation of any kind, of any size, to our Nehemiah Fund. It, it will be delivered in September. And I wanna say this also, it is not only to our Jewish brothers and sisters that are suffering many things we don't have time to even go into, um, but there, our brothers and sisters and the works there and the ministry there, and then it also helps bring Jews back to, the, you know, back to Israel that want to make Aliyah from countries where they're being persecuted. Anti-Semitism is arising as the world gets more and more in trouble. The first thing many countries do is, it's the Jews. They control the, this and that, and they get mad and blame Jews again, over and over again. So we want to help our brothers and sisters. And I want to also add that in Israel, we also, out of the Nehemiah Fund, give blessing to our Arab, Palestinian brothers and sisters. We have relationships with a guy, you know, that's in Nazareth, Boutros. We have, you know, Tassada and other ministries. So we're helping the Jews as well as the Arabs and the Palestinians and the believers uh, with what we're doing, but we're doing it. And just so you know, it comes literally out of what Paul did 2000 years ago and explained in Romans 15 verses 26 and 27. So if God puts that on your heart, here, here's what I will tell you. Genesis 12, two and three, God is not a liar. He said to Abraham and all his descendants, I will bless those who bless you. Anybody blesses you, I'm gonna bless them. Anybody curses you, God told Abraham, this, this is how it works. The curse, my curse is on them. So I don't know about you, I wanna be in the half of the world that is blessing and honoring the Jewish people. Can I hear an amen on that? So, okay, I got a little bit of time. And just wanted to mention all of that. I'm very excited for what God is going to do uh, through our Nehemiah Fund. They need the encouragement. It will be a tremendous blessing to them. But now, one last story, verses 7 through 12. And here's the last life lesson. When you are the most tired, <laughs> it is the most important to stay awake. Okay, so chapter 20, verse 7. This is a funny little story, especially if you're a pastor guy like me. So it says, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. So basically what that tells you is the believers of the early church were meeting and worshiping God on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Seven days God created and the seventh day was the Sabbath, which is Saturday. So the first day of the week, you think, oh, I thought the first day of the week was Monday. <laughs> no, the first day of the week is actually Sunday. And why did the early believers start worshiping on Sunday? Because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. So, hallelujah. So that tells us that, you know, we worship, uh, we can worship on Sunday. You can also worship on the Sabbath. Paul says some men esteem one day above another, but then other people like esteem all days alike. Like, I'm gonna worship God seven days out of the week. Then they would break bread, which means communion. And Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, let's stop right there. I've gone long many times, but I've never kept you here on Saturday night till midnight. Can I hear an amen on that? But the way things are going, I may. Someday. So, there were many lamps in the upper room. So they, they met upstairs. Why? Because generally it was cooler. 
they didn't have air conditioning as we do. And so, you know, fresh air. And uh, there, there was a, a certain in the window. So they didn't have a glass. It was just an open window. Upstairs, there sat a certain young man. The Greek word there means generally he was probably somewhere between 10, maybe as old as 17. He's a teenager. So he's like, okay, yeah, Paul's preaching. He's going kind of long. I'm going to sit by the window, fresh air, but it lamps and he's getting drowsy and basically Paul's putting him to sleep. I hope I never put anybody to sleep, but I think I have because I've had people come up and tell me, I just love the sound of your voice. I can just go to dreams and sleeping and I go, great, thank you. Anyway, there was a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, which means he had been working probably all day. And as Paul continued speaking, (laughs) he fell down from the third story and died. That's never happened to me either. (laughs) I've preached long, but nobody fell out of a window and died. But it happened to Paul. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, yeah, he was awake then. (laughs) He departed and, and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Basically, that young man fell, died. The apostle Paul went down and he was resurrected. The Old Testament, there was a prophet Elijah who had a story of a woman's son who died and he stretched himself out and breathed, you know, and he he came back to life. Elisha also had a woman whose son had died and he also resurrected a young man. Now we connect the Old Testament to the New Testament, the same power, the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The continuity from the law and the prophets now in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah of Nazareth, a boy died from the third floor and was resurrected, confirming that the message they shared of the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And you better believe that story went around the Roman world because there's no other name, no other religion, no other god or guru or little stone statue or stick that raised anybody from the dead but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his prophets, and his ultimate son, the Lord Jesus Christ, raised the dead. That means he's God, nobody else. There is no other God. He alone is worthy to be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's all stand, and we'll stop there for now. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And as you close your eyes, I want you to just go into the heavenlies and take a moment and behold your Savior, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. That Jesus who is seated there, who is transfigured, His hair, his skin, his clothing became brilliant white like lightning. Is seated upon a throne at the right hand of almighty God the Father. Who has said, I've committed all judgment to my son. Listen to him. Hear him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Jesus the same body that was beaten and tortured and whipped and nailed and crucified is the same body that on the third day rose from the dead. He says, I have all power. I have all authority. I am the judge of the living and the dead. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus.
praise you. Praise you, O Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May your spirit be poured out upon all flesh in this moment, in this time. Lord Jesus, may your name be honored. May your name be lifted up. May we live lives worthy of you. May we not give in to the world and give in to the flesh and give in to the things, the spirit of this world. But Lord, may we honor you. May we live for you. May we sacrifice ourselves. May we lay our lives down. May we not be caught up in a pity party feeling bad or sorry for ourselves. Let us then be like the Apostle Paul. Let us bless others. Let us befriend others. Let us love and encourage others. Let us embrace others. Let us be, as it were, your hands and your feet and your heart and your compassion burning and flowing through our lives. And even in the midst of the trials and the hardships and the difficulties and the challenges, Lord, this we know from Scripture is an opportunity for you to shine for you to be lifted up because so many people were following and trusting in stupid idols that are mocking them now and laughing at them. They've delivered nothing. They're false, they're fake, they're demonic, they're evil. And therefore, Lord, may you be lifted up and may there be and arise a people that are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ but we'll speak for you, live for you, love you, follow you uncompromisingly, not embarrassed, but boldness, words that come from our testimony and from our heart and from our experience that you are good and you are great and you are faithful and you are worthy. And may people be one to Jesus for such a time as this. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.